by the power of the Holy Spirit working through word and sacrament. Then we hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. My friends, it's just that simple. It's in the divine service that he's there for you, that he delivers the forgiveness. That's where he promises forgiveness will be. Uh, and so it, that's why it's so important uh, to be in church. We long that God would answer the prayer when we pray, deliver us from evil. Get me out of here. Get me out of this sin-filled world. And that is Jesus Christ uh, who says, Do not count their sin against them, for my blood has paid the price for that. Now on 95.7 FM, it's Proclaiming the One with Pastor Clint Poppy and Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we come together, we take a look at the upcoming readings for the particular Sunday or feast day in the church year. Today we're looking at the third Sunday in Advent, the um, pink Sunday in Advent, if you uh, follow along with the Advent candles that you may have in uh, church or in your home. This is uh, three-fourths of the way through our celebration of Advent. And up to this point in our Advent season, we've really focused on the second coming of Christ, the return of Jesus. Judgment day cometh and right soon. And now we're going to make kind of a shift. We did a little bit of a shift last week, but we make a big shift today to the ministry of John the Baptist. Pastor, before we get into the actual text here, why is John the Baptist a prominent figure or prominent theme in the season of Advent? Well, uh, he's a prominent theme because his main job is to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, for the proclamation of the gospel, and for um, all of Christ's ministry. And so it is appropriate for us as we prepare for the coming of Christ at Christmas and uh, looking ahead to uh, the rest of the church year that we also hear what John the Baptist tells us. Uh, and the main theme for John the Baptist is repent and believe the, the good news, and uh, that's what we ought to start preparing our hearts to do as we head towards the church year. And uh, Advent, uh, sometimes called uh, a little Lent or a little fast, there is a theme of repentance in Advent, and sometimes with all of our uh, consumerism and our preparation for Christmas, we completely lose fact or lose sight of the fact that Advent is to be a time of repentance, uh, joyful repentance but repentance nonetheless. Uh, to get us into that, we're going to begin as we have been uh, this year and will continue this year. We'll begin with the gospel reading for the third Sunday in Advent, Matthew 11, 2 to 11. Vicar, take it away. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. 
Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow, we've got so many themes that are going on here. Uh, you can't help when you just listen to those words that Jesus repeats again and again. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? What did you go out to see? What did you go out to see? We have Jesus talking about uh, John as the fulfillment of scripture. He is my messenger that was uh, spoken of by the prophet. Uh, he will prepare the way, just like you said in our opening comments. We have this greater and least theme. We got so many things that are going on here in these uh, nine verses from Matthew 11. When John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, Pastor, why is John in prison? What happened? Well, um, yeah, that's an excellent question. John was in trouble because um, Herod, uh, and I believe it's Herod Antipas, and I might have the wrong Herod. Herod was not very creative in naming his sons. He named them all Herod. Um, I believe it's uh, Herod is married to his brother Herod's ex-wife. And uh, I'm not even sure it's ex-wife yet. It might just be they're sleeping together uh, and uh, not officially married yet. Uh, and so they're shacking up. They're at shacking least. up at least. And John the Baptist, uh, being a bold preacher, said that that was sin and that it was wrong. And when you're a ruler, you don't like to be told that you're wrong, and you don't want your people to hear from someone else that you're wrong. And so what he did is he arrested him. He placed him in prison. Uh, Josephus tells us the prison was located at Machairus, which is on. On the eastern side of the Dead Sea in modern-day Jordan. Um, and so Herod is imprisoned there at this fortress, Citadel, uh, rebuilt by King Herod the Great beforehand. And he's imprisoned there for two years, and he is uh, put to death in 32 AD, right before the Passover, about a, uh, a year before Jesus is put to death. Uh, and so that's kind of what's going on as far as that, that word there when John heard in prison. Uh, he's in that special prison in Machairus across the Dead Sea uh, from the rest of Israel and Judea. And uh, we, we have this in great, great detail in the Gospel of Mark. And I was just trying to think off the top of my head what chapter that is in Mark where uh, we get all of the details about uh, Salome and the dancing and uh, wanting the head of uh, John the Baptist. And I wanted to say that it was Mark chapter 10. Well, and that, that tells us what eventually then leads to 
the death of John, and it even tells us more about this. Um, so, but it, the yeah, woman you set the, the, you set the, the woman, stage there. Yeah, the woman Herodia uh, Herodias, I believe. Uh, she, when she hears what John preaches, that what she's doing is sin, she holds a grudge. She despises the word that's said. She fails to repent, and she looks for an opportunity to get even, which happens eventually later on when um, uh, the uh, the daughter dances, and Herod, in a um, lustful stupor after watching the dance, promises her anything she wants up to half the kingdom, which is an interesting thing because that's not in his authority to give even. Uh, he, he makes this wild promise, and the mother manipulates the situation so that the gift-given response for the dance will be the head of John the Baptist. And so John is beheaded before Passover in 32 AD, about a year before Jesus is crucified over Passover. Okay, it's in Mark chapter 6, beginning on about verse 13 or 14, where we have all this in great detail if our, if our hearers want to uh, be recounted of that. And uh, the martyrdom of John the Baptist is a um, uh, minor festival in the church that comes up, I want to say, about the end of August every year. And it's one that we try to uh, observe on a regular basis here at Good Shepherd. So the readings... In Advent 3, I'm going to make a broad statement here, Pastor. The readings in Advent 3 all connect us to the office of the Holy Ministry in some way, shape, or form. John is thrown in prison because he's a faithful pastor. He speaks the word of God without regard to consequence. He speaks the word of God and it gets him thrown in prison, and ultimately gets him beheaded. We have here John in prison. He heard about the deeds of Christ. Well, he's the one that said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knew about the deeds of Christ. He foretold and predicted the deeds of Christ. This is no shock. This is no surprise to him. This is the one who says, I must decrease, John. He, Jesus, must increase. And now he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask this question. Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? There is a modern-day approach to this text that says John the Baptist was depressed. John the Baptist was unclear. John the Baptist was uncertain of his mission and languishing away in prison. He just needs to hear it from Jesus one more time that he really is the Savior of the world. This is kind of a modern interpretation of this text uh, within the last hundred years for sure, but gaining ground the last 50 years. Is that what's going on here, Pastor? No, I don't believe so. I don't think John is doubting, but rather he's doing what he's always done, and that's to continue to point people to Christ. John knows that salvation will not be found within himself. It will only be found in Jesus. And so John makes sure that his own disciples, uh, one of the things he does before he himself is killed, uh, that he sends them to the right place to look to the right person so that they can also enter into God's eternal kingdom. So what John does is he continues to be a faithful pastor. 
Behold the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the same way that Jesus prepares his disciples in the upper room during that whole high priestly prayer, uh, John 14, 15, 16, uh, 17, a little bit, yeah, 17 as well. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the extreme grief and heartache that they're going to experience when Jesus actually is killed. John, in a lesser way, is preparing his disciples who are going to be traumatized. They have been following John, even though he has said, don't follow me, follow Jesus. We know from the book of Acts that people continued to follow John, not listening to John's word, but they were following the man, the man John, rather than his message. And so John, in this last great pastoral effort, when he could have used the comfort of his followers around him, sends them away. Go hear it straight from the horse's mouth, from Jesus, who he is. Is that, I mean, that's the way yeah. this text has always been understood uh, for almost 2,000 years. And that's important for both the, the people of a congregation and for pastors to understand that that's really what's going on. Pa uh, churches are never about the pastor. Uh, even as nice a guys as we are, church is always about Jesus. We must decrease, he must increase. And pastor's job is not to uh, point to themselves or even get benefits for themselves. Rather, it's to preach God's word, to point people to Christ, and to make sure that uh, uh, through that faithful preaching and teaching, these people are in the faith and will be in God's kingdom in the end. And so um, it's always a good reminder for us pastors, we are replaceable. It's not about us, uh, and it's not about you as a member of the congregation either. It's always about Jesus. When we come back from our break, we're going to take a look at Jesus' answer to the disciples of John the Baptist. This is Proclaiming the One. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Golden. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Thanks for tuning in. We each, each week, we take a look at the upcoming readings in the church here. Today, we're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Advent, the uh, Pink Candle Sunday in Advent, the John the Baptist Sunday in Advent, but even more so than that, I think all of the readings connect us in one way, shape, or form to the office of the Holy Ministry, God's great gift through whom he declares the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. We, uh, we talked about John in general before, Pastor, and how John is being a faithful pastor. That's what gets him thrown in prison. John is being a faithful pastor that even in prison, he sends his disciples to Jesus so that they can hear straight from the horse's mouth who Jesus is and why Jesus is. In verse 4, Jesus answered. Vicar, would you want to refresh our memory? Matthew 11, verses 4, 5, and 6. 
And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Pastor, it almost appears that Jesus is deflecting. He's not directly answering the question. And he's more worried about people being offended than he is by giving a straight up or down question if he is the Christ, the promised one, the Savior, the Messiah, or one to come. Is that what Jesus is doing here, or is there something that we need to make clear? Uh, no, Jesus isn't deflecting, but rather he's driving them back to the scriptures. Uh, he's driving them back to Isaiah chapter 35 specifically, where Isaiah records, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lie down on grass, shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. And it goes on from there. And where, um, where are you reading from again? Pastor? Isaiah chapter 35. And, uh, Marvelous the, chapter. The last part of it is, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so what Jesus is saying, look, I'm fulfilling Isaiah chapter 35, and really all of Isaiah, but we don't quite understand that yet. We don't understand the suffering servant part uh, until later on in Christ's life. But he's he's being very clear with both the disciples of John who are hearing this and with John himself in prison. So Jesus is not deflecting. In fact, Jesus is giving a direct answer. He's giving a direct answer and it says, you know your scriptures. You know what the scriptures see. Now, what do you see and what do you hear? You see and you hear with your own ears and with your own eyes these things that have been prophesied for hundreds of years. These things are happening right before you. Exactly. Wake up. Wake up and smell the coffee. Um, I'm the one. And then with that blessed is the one who is not offended because of me, uh, Jesus is not some snowflake that's uh, worrying about being offended or offending others. Jesus is saying, if you are offended that me, Jesus of Nazareth, is the one doing these things, then you need to repent. If you are offended because of me, listen to the word, believe the word, and then see what you see and believe what you see. And even, I think, uh, scandalized by Jesus, if he's you know, we even do this today, right? Jesus is my homeboy. What a friend I have in him. And we limit him to just that. We don't see the whole big picture that he is the fulfillment of all the scriptures, whether we understand it or not. And so we can't make Jesus into our own image, but rather we have to let him be who he is. Amen. Amen. Uh, surprisingly, then, starting in verse 7, as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He's teaching them and catechizing them and us about the ministry of John the Baptist. And here's where he repeats three times. 
What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? Pastor, when I hear these words, I am thinking about modern day church shoppers. And I'm thinking about people going from church to church, maybe even from denomination to denomination, wanting to have their eyes, their ears, some other sensibilities tickled because of the person, the clothes they wear, the style that they have, rather than the words that the person is supposed to be saying. Am I carrying this too far, or is this a good application of this text? No, I think that's a good application. Um, you know, a reed blowing in the wind, what's it do? You you duck hunt. You know the way that they work. Uh, they rattle against one another. They're noisy. Uh, they blow back and forth uh, this way and that way. And that's what he's talking about, the, the preacher who's doing that. Is that John? No. He had a one, one, one message, right? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Repent and believe the gospel. Um, and uh, the guy in fine clothing, is he wearing a three-piece suit? Does he fly in his own private airplane? Is his last name Dollar? Uh, no, uh, he's, he's not a fancy rich guy. He's just preaching the word, preaching the word, preaching the word. Uh, that's what prophets do. That's what pastors are supposed to do. Uh, and that's what we ought to trust in, the word, the word, the word. Amen. And so Jesus says, what did you go out to see then? A prophet. According to God's word, Vicar, what does a prophet do? A prophet prophesies. A prophet is able to uh, uh, deliver the message of the promise of the future to come. And that message is uh, pointing to the way, making it straight for Christ. And does the prophet create his own message? No, no, it usually comes from, it either comes from the Lord himself or a messenger of the Lord. Okay, and I think this is important for us to recount. Uh, prophets do not dream up their own prophecy. The, the prophets who do that are false prophets. We are warned about this again and again and again in Scripture. When we see in the Old Testament books the call of the prophet, oftentimes it starts out like, a word of the Lord came to the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Daniel. Isaiah, you know, whatever. It is crystal clear that this word, this oracle, is not their own creation. Prophets never, or prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. Second Peter one twenty one. So the prophet speaks a word from outside of him. When Jesus says that John was a prophet, but more than a prophet, what is what is he teaching us here about the ministry of John the Baptist? Pastor. Well, um, he's teaching us that the things John was saying are God's word. And, I mean, we go back to the beginning of Matthew. I think this is really clear. What's, G what's John the Baptist preaching? Repent and believe. Uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And then after Jesus is baptized and tempted in the wilderness, what's Jesus start to preach? 
Exact same, same thing. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so John the Baptist's message uh, is essentially the same as Jesus' message and is essentially the same as any message from any faithful pastor today. And that's that's kind of a neat thing to see there. So John is a prophet sent by John. Uh, sent some, by God. Yep. Uh, sent by God, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, some would say the last of the Old Testament prophets, the first of the New Testament prophets, however you want to look at that. Um, and John is also a fulfillment of prophecy as the one who would do just what you were talking about, that message of preparation um, contemporary with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself. His message was to prepare. Now, when we think about preparing, this is, you know, everybody's getting ready for Christmas and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about, you know, getting the, getting the presents bought and fine-tuning, tr- trimming the tree and last-minute meal preparations. That's not the preparation that we're talking about here in Scripture, is it, Pastor? No. Um in fact, it's, again, a fruit of God's word is being prepared. And so John is there to start the preaching process in the wilderness to uh, lead people to see their sin and to see how the people of Israel had wandered away from the one true God yet again, uh, so that when that true God showed up, they were ready to hear the word from him as well and to trust it and to believe it. Uh, and in a way, too, I suppose, uh, he also prepares us to understand what baptism is. He is John the Baptist, after all. And part of that preparation, then, is he actually baptizes Christ to fulfill all righteousness. Uh, and so in that way, too, he's preparing all the things that are to come after him. And nothing that John does is actually about John. All of it is about Jesus. In the great Advent hymn, Hark the Glad Sound, there is that line in there, Let every heart... Prepare a room and every, yeah, it's just, it's, it clears up and brings together this, this preparation. This preparation is a preparation of the heart, contrition and repentance. Last thing in the time that we have left, Pastor, truly I say to you among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What a paradox here. What What is Jesus teaching? Well, um, he's teaching that John is the best prophet there ever has been, and in a way he is. Uh, he's the uh, fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets. He's really the last Old Testament prophet. And, and yet... Um, all the greatness that is in John in this world doesn't compare with uh, what is to come in Jesus in heaven and eternal life and all that uh, we will inherit uh, when we leave this world behind and enter into the world to come. And so don't get caught up in what John is doing here, but think about where you're headed and where you're going, and that is into the next world. If I believe in Jesus, the one that John the Baptist pointed me for, or pointed me to, Jesus is the great prophet because he's pointed me to Jesus. Thanks be to God. And yet, by grace through faith, I'm as great as John. Isn't that as amazing? Isn't that amazing? That is the message that God has for you today as well. What is it that makes you great? Your pedigree, the uh, number of ti- uh, initials you have after your title, the size of your portfolio, or the fact that 
that our Lord and Savior Jesus has shed his blood on Calvary's cross for you. You are great in the kingdom of heaven. Thanks be to God. We need to take a break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Advent. When we come back, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament reading, Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline. We have mysteriously, no, not so mysteriously, we've lost our vicar. And so for our last two segments, uh, we're going to be two-manning it, the dynamic duo, whatever you want to say. We are privileged to serve Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Lincoln, Nebraska. Please join us for worship. Every Sunday, 8 and 10.30 with Sunday School for All Ages in Between. Wednesdays in Advent, we have an Advent meal. You're invited, starting uh, serving at 4.30 p.m. We have worship at 6.30 on Wednesdays with a special Advent flavor and flair. And uh, on the 18th, Wednesday the 18th, we have our children's Christmas program at Good Shepherd. Please join us as we hear the little children tell the story of Christmas. In this particular segment, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament reading for the third Sunday in Advent, Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. Pastor, you want to share those words, please? Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. 
Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arms rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are young. There you have it. That's the Old Testament reading for the third Sunday in Advent, Isaiah 40. 1 through 11. Pastor, there is, uh, we've talked about this before with the book of Romans and other other uh, books of the scriptures. When, when people look at Isaiah, they oftentimes make a break at the end of chapter 39 and before chapter 40. In fact, some people foolishly would say that there's such a distinction or break beginning with chapter 40 in Isaiah that there must be a different author. How could the, the same author have uh, written two seemingly different messages? What is happening here in this part two of Isaiah that begins in chapter 40? Well, uh, starting with chapter 40, we're beginning to focus very clearly on the salvation event that God is going to work through his son, Jesus Christ, uh, what is coming ahead in the future. And so we get things like Isaiah 53 with the suffering servant song, uh, where it talks about Jesus uh, healing us by his wounds and being stricken, smitten, and afflicted. And so we kind of have this gospel emphasis focus on what is to come in Christ uh, beginning at this point. And so here at the beginning of this uh, gospel section, if you want to look at it or think of it that way, it starts out with two words, comfort, comfort, nahu, nahu, navu. I don't, I'm trying to think of my Hebrew here. It sounds like you're talking about that uh, uh, movie with Pandora and the, the small human beings invading the hippie planet. I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor, oh, which is called? a good thing. Comfort, comfort. Why is that? the message that comes from the Lord. Well, uh, comfort is a good message from the Lord, and it is a great hope and promise that we have. And it's uh, something that we can have in this world because of what God is going to do for us in the personal work of Jesus. Uh, we have comfort for all of our sorrows, comfort for all of our sins. Everything is healed and made well, all by what Jesus accomplishes. And so that's kind of what the idea is here. And Jesus uh, makes sure that it's recorded for us twice in a row to begin this particular Old Testament lesson. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So, I'm a little bit confused here, Pastor. Is this God speaking, or is this Isaiah speaking God's words? Uh, who's actually doing the talking here? Well, uh, it says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And so we would definitely say this is God speaking here uh, through the prophet Isaiah, of course, but it is God's word. And God is giving Isaiah a specific message to convey to the people. He says, speak tenderly to Jerusalem. What's the significance of the prophet speaking on God's behalf words of tenderness? Well, I mean, maybe 
the way to think about it is that he's not speaking harshly. He's not like an angry dad. He's not like a politician or one of those folks on the the view yelling at each other. Uh, he is speaking with compassion and mercy and love, um, and he's able to do that because of what he's accomplished in the person work of Jesus. And we have some specific things that the prophet is supposed to proclaim in this tender way, this comforting message, and it is... Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So we have a three-part message here. Is it two parts good news and one part bad news? Uh, How would we explain warfare ended, iniquity pardoned, double portion for her sins? Well, they're all good news. Um, The last one, a double portion, means um, that what had been owed has been given back twice as much. And I think that's seen in some of the parables of our Lord as well when he teaches um, in the New Testament. And so all these things are good. The warfare is ended. There's no longer any conflict. The uh, uh, iniquities are pardoned. Uh, Sin is forgiven. And anything that you owed God, you no longer owe, but rather now you have more than you even began with. The uh, double portion, when I think of double portion in the Old Testament scriptures, this is often in reference to the firstborn or the one that receives the blessings of the firstborn. They get this double portion. Does this uh, firstborn connection uh, have anything going on here in these words from God through Isaiah? Well, that's a good question. Um you know, it definitely could be. Um, that'd be one of the things it talks about. Of course, Christ being the firstborn from the dead. Um, but uh, in baptism, we're clothed in Christ's righteousness, and God looks at us, he sees his son Jesus. Um, but we can't, we can't take it to mean that we are in the same place as Jesus in heaven or anything like that. God definitely has his own place, but we do receive uh, the gift of adoption into God's family, definitely, no doubt about that. So as a child of God, we are treated as special, receiving a double portion, not of punishment, but of forgiveness, life, and salvation. This uh, pardon and ended warfare that uh, God is talking about here in Isaiah 40. Starting in verse 3 of Isaiah 40, we are introduced to a voice. A voice. A voice cries, and then a little bit later in verse 6, a voice says, and then uh, down in verse 9, lift up your voice. Who is this voice, Pastor? Well, um, these words are quoted in the Gospels in reference to John the Baptist, and so I think it's a fair uh, assumption to say that this is a prophecy telling us that John the Baptist will uh, come in the future, at least in Isaiah's eyes. And we see that fulfilled in the uh, gospel lesson that we have talked about uh, in the last two segments, where John the Baptist is there, and uh, uh, even still then, pointing people to Jesus Christ. And so, uh, in in this regard, it is definitely telling us John is coming to prepare the way of the Lord, uh, but as with, with all prophecy, we can't see that fulfillment completed in John. It's completed in Jesus Christ, who is the one he's preparing the way for. And so we have to be very careful as we 
kind of see that. Um, so, for example, in Matthew 3, this uh, verse is quoted almost exactly in verse 3. And you also have the sermons from John the Baptist uh, where he uh, talks about the wrath that is to come, which references the, uh, the all grass uh, will burn, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, the same idea. So this is John, but it's preparing the way for Jesus. So in this uh, Sunday, this third Sunday in Advent, when many of our readings have this common theme of the Office of the Holy Ministry weaving their way through here, it shouldn't surprise us that we have a voice, because this voice, which continues today through the preaching of God's Word and the proper administration of Christ's sacraments, is the life-giving voice of God, the viva vox Christi, the living voice of Christ. In um, verses 6 through 8, Pastor, we have some of the most memorable and significant words in the entire Old Testament. A voice says, cry, and I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Your thoughts on that section of Scripture? Well, I do think it's worth pointing out that this, again, does mirror what John the Baptist preached. Uh, you know, in John's Gospel, we have uh, Jesus uh, being proclaimed uh, that he will baptize the Holy Spirit in fire with a winnowing fork in his hand and will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into his barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. These are the same ideas here. Uh, and what it's saying is everything that we have in this world doesn't amount to a hill of beans when compared with God. And so it kind of reflects the same preaching from Jesus when he says, uh, don't let your treasure be here in this world where moth and rust destroy, but rather let your treasure be in the world that is to come. And that's something we have to keep in mind, especially in Advent season, as we look to Christ's coming at Christmas time. The uh, phrase VD, or the, I guess the acronym VDMA, comes from these words from Isaiah 40, verse 8 the word of the Lord endures forever. It was a great rallying cry during the time of the Reformation. It was on uh, many of the soldiers' uniforms or shields or whatever. Uh, kingdoms fall. Armies are defeated. The arrows of Satan are flung at us in a variety of ways. Luther said, take they our life, goods, fame, child, or wife, though these all be gone. The victory has been won. How? The word of the Lord endures forever. That's the good news on the third Sunday in Advent. That's the good news each and every day of your life. The word of the Lord, which is Jesus, crucified and risen for you. We need to take a short break. When we come back, we'll look at our epistle reading, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5. Don't change that dial. FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Show 
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline. We're looking at the readings for the third Sunday in Advent. In our first section, we began our study of the Holy Gospel for Advent 3, Matthew 11, 2-11, the mission and ministry of John the Baptist. In segment two, we looked at uh, that gospel reading again and concluded it. And in segment three, we looked at our Old Testament reading. For Advent 3, Isaiah 40, 1 to 11. The word of the Lord endures forever. And now we look at our epistle reading, and oftentimes the epistle reading is a practical application of everything that we've heard thus far. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5, it might seem like kind of an odd reading for Advent. We're going to explore that. Pastor, would you share those words, please? This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Okay, we have some interesting words here. And I've I've been kind of emphasizing throughout our program today that while this is the pink Sunday candle, uh, pink candle Sunday in uh, Advent. Gauda to Sunday. This, uh, thank you. This is the um, Sunday when John the Baptist is really emphasized in our readings. Uh, it also has kind of a common flavor and a common theme of the Office of the Holy Ministry writing through here. And I think that's really where our epistle re- lesson is headed. This is how one should regard us. Pastor, who's the us? Is he talking about all Christians here? Um, from the context and what follows, I would say no. I would say he's speaking about the office of the Holy Ministry and those who are called and ordained to be pastors. And the way that we can tell that is because of what comes next servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The stewards of the mysteries of God part, I think, is the really telling part. Uh, All of us are servants of Christ, yes, but stewards of the mysteries of God narrows it down more specifically to pastors. Uh, Those are the ones who um, are given the public job of distributing the sacraments, preaching the word, um, and all the rest of the the specific pastor duties, um, and even the word mysteries, though not in the Greek, uh, in the the Latin, will translate that into sacramentum, which is where we get our word sacrament from. And so we're talking about those sorts of people, those who deal with the body and blood of the Lord, those who deal with baptism, those who preach the word. Uh, and so I, I'd say this is talking about pastors. And I I think you're spot on there. I think this is primarily directed at the office of the Holy Ministry, those that God has uh, placed into that holy office, not because of who they are, again, a gift of grace, 
by application, we can apply these principles to all Christians, to the royal priesthood, but primarily it's talking to pastors. And it says pastors then should be servants and stewards, stewards specifically of the mysteries of grace. Pastor, in general, what does it mean to be a steward? Well, the way to think about it is someone who's managing something that belongs to someone else. So maybe a helpful movie reference would be the Lord of the Rings movies, where the third one, you have the steward of Gondor, whose job it is is to oversee the kingdom in the king's absence. And uh, this is the same sort of thing in all sorts of different ways and different places. But that's, that's the idea, someone who's managing something that truly belongs to someone else, so that when that person returns, they can have it back. Now, wouldn't it wouldn't it uh, surprise anyone that the thirty-something pastor talks about the Lord of the Rings movie, and this sixty-something pastor would probably talk about a curator at a museum taking care of the wonderful artifacts that have been gathered together? I guess we're nerds in different ways. We 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 are we are intergenerational nerds. That's all I can say. But uh, that that caretaker, uh, you don't own it but you are charged with taking care of it. And I think with regard to the word and sacrament, the mysteries of God, this this goes for all Christians. We should be caretakers of God's gifts, but primarily pastors here. And it says, and I, I just love it when these words are spoken at an ordination or installation, and they always are, but I love it when they are applied to a pastor. Verse 2, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Why are those words so important for pastors to remember today and for the people in the pew to remember with regard to their pastors? Yeah. Um, think about if you hired a steward to watch over your property while you were traveling uh, or to feed your dog while you're gone. If they're not trustworthy and they're not doing it, you might come back and your property could be ruined or your dog could be dead. Uh the same thing is true for pastors. The congregations are placed into their care. Uh, they do not belong to the pastor. I know lots of times pastors talk this way and they say, well, I serve a congregation of this many, or my congregation does this, or my congregation does that. It's not their congregation. It's God's congregation. And God demands the best uh, for the people that belong to him. They need to be faithful. They need to work hard. They need to make sure everything gets accomplished. They need to uh, make sure that they are administering the sacraments according to God's word. Uh, they aren't their sacraments. They're God's sacraments. They need to take care of the people in need. They need to visit. They need to... Um, be kind and courteous to the people of their in their care. Uh, they need to be honest. They need to be all these things and more. It is a truly amazingly large job that the pastor has to be a steward of a congregation and souls that uh, there are eternal consequences for whether they'll be in heaven or hell. Um, and and God has put a person there to do this work. It is not easy. It is not something that can just be done in an hour or two on a week. Uh, it is a full-time, long, difficult, painful job. And uh, it's important for pastors to remember that, and it's important for congregations to remember that, especially, uh, you know, uh, October 
is uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, right? And so maybe you get a card or two in the mail, pastors. Uh, congregations, you ought to do to remember all the things your pastors are doing for you, not just in October, but year-round, and to show appreciation for that. They're sacrificing a great deal uh, to take care of your soul as best they humanly can. Well, well said, Pastor. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 3, uh, the Apostle Paul seems to take kind of a really, really strange twist in what he is saying. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. Is, is Paul saying, I, I just do whatever I want to because I'm the boss and I'm the pastor? Or is he teaching how pastors should be evaluated? Um, or something, yeah. something different. I know I caught you off guard by that word too. No, yeah, I don't think, I don't think it's about how pastors should be evaluated or anything like that. What a pastor's job is, what they're called to do in season and out of season, is to preach the word and its truth and purity to tell people their sin is not good and that it might hurt and harm their faith, to tell people uh, what is good and God-pleasing, to uh, point people to Christ all the time. And um, the truth is, sometimes when you call sin, sin, or when you say something as a pastor, um, people judge you for it. Uh, who do you think you are telling me that what I'm doing is wrong? Who do you think you are that uh, uh, telling me I can't live with my boyfriend or uh, that I have to go to church on a regular basis to be a Christian? I even received a letter one time that said, we'd, we'd sent this letter that said, we haven't seen you in church in a while. Can we do anything to help you or you know what's going on? And the response was, I was born in this church, baptized in this church, confirmed in this church, and I'll be buried in this church. I don't care what you say. And it's like we didn't say anything. And and what Paul is saying is in response to things like that, you know, I'm not holding myself to your judgment. I'm holding myself to God's word. Uh, I don't even judge myself according to what I think is right or wrong. I'm holding myself to God's word. And he says, I don't know of anything that I've done wrong, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. The only way Paul can be innocent is through the declaration of Jesus Christ, his blood, his death, and his glorious resurrection. We don't judge our pastors by the amount of dollars and seats or the uh, fancy clothes or cars. Uh, we judge our pastors based on God's word, which means God is the ultimate judge with regard to the trustworthiness, the stewardship, and the servanthood of a pastor. Pastor, you said something during the break that uh, kind of caught my attention. And uh, you mentioned something about these words here from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 to 5, and funerals. What did you have in mind there? Well, the last verse says, Do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring things to light and things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. And I think this is something we need to know about funerals. Um, lots of times when somebody dies, we want the pastor to preach them into heaven. We want the uh, message to all be about the person being in heaven. And sometimes you just don't know. And pastors ought not actually preach about the person at all, but they ought to preach about Jesus Christ. But that doesn't always fly with the families. There's even a lawsuit pending currently um, over in um, against a Catholic priest who 
preached that suicide was a sin at a funeral, and the family sued him, and the church removed him from his post. Um, we aren't the one who get to judge this. Uh, your pa- you're not going to be in heaven just because your pastor said so in your funeral sermon. You're not going to be in hell just because your pastor said so at your funeral sermon. You're going to be in heaven or hell based upon your faith as it is revealed in the last day by our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns. And nothing that I can say as a pastor will change whatever God says, uh, and nothing you say as a, a member of a congregation or as a regular person will change what God says. God is the one who is the judge and and we can't take that from him. The uh, and, and I think that's a spot-on observation, Pastor. The, uh, the very last line of 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, Then each person will receive his commendation from God. Is, is this a commendation because they were such good people? A commendation for their good works? What, what kind of commendation are we talking about here? Uh, no one receives a commendation because they're good people because, as we know, no one is good people. Uh, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Uh, there's no one righteous, no, not one. All their works have become filthy rags before the Lord. Uh, and so the only way that we receive a commendation is by grace through faith, uh, delivered to us by the Word of God, by the Holy Spirit working faith in us that looks to Jesus and um, believes that what he has won for all humanity on the cross counts for us sinners. I think in other places in Scripture, this is called the crown of righteousness. Pastor, would you bring things to a close on this third Sunday in Advent by praying the collect of the day? Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Amen. For Pastor Moline, this is Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in to Proclaiming the One. We'll see you again next week. When you get up on Sunday morning, drink your coffee, read your paper, pray for your pastor, but most of all, go to church. God's blessings in Christ.